Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. Okay, now I want you to open your Bible with me to John chapter 2 as we continue our series titled The Exalted Christ. The Exalted Christ. There's a number of things happening up here now on the platform. Choir's making their way off. And um, today in each of our three services, we're having some of the leaders, um, pastors, deacons, leaders to sit on the platform. Um, Because of the content of today's message, Now, um, today we're going to be looking at an unusual revelation of the exalted Christ. Um, This is kind of not typical. Um, it's, It's one of those facets of Jesus, the king of the universe, that quite frankly, lots of people prefer to ignore or to not think about. And... Today we're going to be looking at, in contrast to last week, we looked at things that God uh, values and he honors and he finds pleasure in. Today we're going to be looking at the displeasure of God. And the title of my message today is sometimes Jesus has to clean house. Now what you're going to see here today is Jesus in a very different mode from his typical um, countenance and behavior. We see Jesus healing people, touching people, hugging babies. Uh, um, I'm touching people and talking to people that no one wants to talk or touch. Uh, We see him uh, um, raising people from the dead. We see him speaking life and truth. And yet, this is what you're about to see is the one who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We see Jesus is an amazing, compassionate, and wonderful God. Um, But today, we're going to look at Jesus cleaning house. Now, we all understand cleaning house because everyone has to clean their home, amen? We hope so, right? And uh, it's important to clean house because we know that if things um, get continually dirty, okay, it ultimately becomes unhealthy. But today we're not talking about physical cleaning. Today we're going to be talking about spiritual cleaning. What you're going to see here is a very intense side of God. And as I mentioned, part of the reason why our leaders are here, Brother Bill and Maria are deacons here at this church, and they serve uh, uh, in a variety of ways. For example, this coming Thursday, we're going to have a board meeting. Brother Bill is part of that board. He looks at the finances of this church. He's part of the Wisdom Council. Uh, um, and uh, they play an, an important role, obviously, Pastor Dave and Susie. Pastor Matt, Tommy, my son, and his wife, uh, uh, Tommy's heading up the the youth ministry, 
in today's message because he and Olympia accepted that post because he preached this week, because they accepted that post. Today's message is a message that they have to take very, very seriously. Okay, so this is just, Pastor Jake, this is just a, a small sample of the leaders here. Um, but what I want to do is just read the passage and, um, and then really get into this very, very important message. So, so they, go, they move from the wedding of Cana and then th they, the scene changes. And the Bible says, this is John 2 beginning with verse uh, 13. It says, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Okay, very probably the most important celebration uh, 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 religious observant of the Jewish people was the Passover because the Passover was, was uh, the one that they remember when the angel of death passed over them because he saw the blood on the doorposts and he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over. And that's why we're all here because, because the Lord looks at our lives and he sees the blood. And so how many are thankful we're not judged because of the blood of Jesus? And so it says, uh, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there in the temple he found. In the temple he found. Okay. And making a whip of cords because of what he found, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Let's keep going. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. Now stop for a second because this is a key to this passage. Jesus was talking about something that they were not getting. In a moment we're going to pray and if there was ever a day that we need to get it, today is one of those days. Okay? So Jesus was saying things, but the people were not getting it. Okay? So it says, um, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And so what we're going to look here, look at here now is the day that Jesus literally cleaned his own house. I think it's important to remind ourselves 
that 2,000 years later, we find ourselves sitting in the Lord's house. How many know this is not my house? This is not your house. How many would agree this is the Lord's house? Could we put our hands together and agree with that? And we are honored, honored to be in his presence and to be in his house. And the Bible records that two times Jesus turned over tables. He literally walked into his house. Okay, and I think about this all the time. Imagine Jesus walking in here and saying, get out, get this out and pushing things over. That's actually what he was doing, which is so bizarre in a sense. And yet this was the son of the living God. This was the king of the universe. And so what I want to do is I want to pray and try to understand today why did Jesus turn tables over? Why did he clean his house? And we want to, how many would agree we want this house to be the kind of house that he's pleased with? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and our time together. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say. And I pray for grace to communicate it, Lord. Lord, we love your word. And we thank you that as we walk through your word, you are teaching us the things that we need. Your word makes us wise unto salvation. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And that's what it is for all of us. Bless this word in our time together. In the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said, amen and amen. So let's take a, a few moments and look at why does Jesus clean his house? Well, number one, it's important for us to know this. Jesus cleans his house because of his love for the Father. He says, get this stuff, stop turning my father's house into a house of trade. And when they saw this, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now, from the very beginning, Jesus always loved his father's house. In fact, the first words that we hear come from the mouth of of Jesus, the human being, was when he was about 12 years old. When Jesus was 12 years old, he went with his mother and father on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, very similar to the pilgrimage that those people were making at that time. And, and uh, the community of uh, 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 the Jewish community was so tight, the aunts and uncles and neighbors, they were so tight. That even though they left Jerusalem, they, they didn't even worry about Jesus not being literally with them because they knew they were, he's with auntie or uncle or, you know, Titi China and all of those uh, uh, different family members or someone in the neighborhood. He knew that. And they, they knew that, so they left. And then all of a sudden, Jesus was, wasn't there. And as they searched, they go back to Jerusalem. When they get back to Jerusalem, Jesus is there. And they say, why didn't you come with us? And you know what he said? He said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He loved the Lord. 
He loved the father since he was very young. And now with that same love and that same zeal, he marches into God's house and he begins to, to purge it. Not because he was angry, but more because he loved his father so much. And I want to pause here for a second and say, how many would agree we want the people, the little ones behind that wall to love the Lord's house. To have a passion and a desire and a zeal. Could I get an amen? We want our children to love the Lord, don't we? See, but there's no way they're going to have zeal for God if we don't have zeal for God. You see? And so it was because of his incredible zeal and his desire to honor the Father. By the way, if we have time, I will end this message by reading out of the book of Revelation. Because if you want to know how the Bible ends, the Bible ends with Jesus walking among the churches. You see, Jesus is walking among the churches. He walks among our aisles. We believe that because that's what the Bible says. We believe that Jesus is here. He says, two or three are gathered in my name. I'm going to be there. You see? And we desire that he would be pleased by what's going on in his house. May he find this house to be pleasing and acceptable in the sight. How many would say Amen. Now, so that's the first thing. He cleans the house because of his love for the Father. And it really should give us pause and think about this house. You see? And think about how we view church. Because it's important for us to understand that this is his house. Now, the reason that the leaders are on the platform is because of the second reason that Jesus cleans his house. And I want to put this up and then explain. He cleans his house because what grieves him is not good for his people. What grieves Jesus is not good for the people that Jesus loves. So it says, in the temple he found... Things that were grieving him, those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple. Why? Because it was grievous to his heart. He was not happy with what he found in his house. Now, it's important for us to understand that when Jesus is grieved, if you look at biblical history, when Jesus or God were grieved, they were grieved by three different groups of people. The first group of people were the leaders. The leaders grieved God. If you look in the prophets, many of the, many of the rebukes and corrections were specifically directed at the leadership. Okay, secondarily, Jesus was grieved by his, quote, followers. I'm saying, quote, followers because some followers are not that good at following. They're not really pleasing in their following. You see? And then thirdly, obviously, he was grieved by the sinful world. The things that happen in this world that grieve the heart of God. And this message is directed more at leadership than it is at the people. 
And that's why I want the, I want the leaders up here because that's, that's what the reality is. It's important for everyone here to realize that a leader has a great burden before God to represent him and to please him. In other words, in other words, it's like this. The leader has to think about God even before he thinks about the people. The leader has to think about God first and what pleases God first. If he thinks about God before he thinks about the people, then whatever the Lord directs him to do, he can rest assured that it will always be what's best for the people. How many know whatever pleases God is always good for the people? How many would say amen to that? Now, now if he thinks about the people before he thinks about God, then it may not be pleasing to God. And then it won't be good for the people, even if it pleases the people. Just because something pleases you here doesn't mean it's good for you. So let me just stop and say this. Leadership has an incredible burden before God. Did, did we bring that back out? Yes. So I have a quick example for you. I just started wearing backpacks and um, I want to give you an example of leadership. So leadership is a lot like carrying a backpack. The only thing is, is that when you become a leader, you put on a backpack and you never take it off. So if you go to uh, um, Cheesecake Factory, you know, your Cheesecake Factory, people are going, man, I love these lettuce wraps and um, these, these, um, those little rolls with the avocado rolls, they're so delicious and soft. And even when you're enjoying the, well, it doesn't matter. Guess what you have on you? You have a backpack of responsibility. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you do. Wherever you are, I'm telling you right now, when you're called to leadership, if you're carrying that responsibility correctly, you never, you never take it off. It's very difficult to explain to people what it's like to get a, a, a text in one minute that is the most amazing, incredible news. And at the same minute, get something that makes you want to weep and breaks your heart. Like I can't even put that into words. I can't, I can't even put into words what it's like to carry a burden for people. And that even though you might be having a great day, someone in the congregation is having a horrible day. I don't know how to explain to you what it is to feel a burden for people. You know, I, I, he's here, but I mentioned this morning, more spontaneous. Because the other day I was walking. I don't even remember where I was walking, but I was walking. And then I started thinking about Jack who's been battling with cancer for a couple of years. And we prayed so many times. And our heart is whole heavy because, because I want the Lord to heal him. You know, and sometimes he heals and it's a mystery. I don't understand. But I'm telling you right now, you will never know what it is to carry the weight of responsibility before God. Unless you're, you, you accept that mantle. You see? So, hey, 
Tommy is preaching to the youth, and whatever he does, no matter who his father is, who his grandfather is, now the way he runs that ministry, if he chooses to take the word of God in his hands, well, he will answer to God for what he does. That's the way this thing rolls. You see, it doesn't matter. If, if, and there are all kinds of, kinds of leaders, and all of these leaders, if they don't really love the people, if they don't carry that burden every day, Pastor Matt was saying, someone he remembers getting married and feeling responsibility. He remembers that day of feeling responsibility. But he said, someone asked him after he became a pastor, what's it like? And he, his reply was, it's like putting something on that you never take off. Okay. Now, the reason why that is so important is because it's important for everyone here to realize that Jesus is watching what the decisions that we make. You see? Jesus holds us accountable for what we do here and how we do it. You know, uh, uh, it's just, it's just, Lord, how do we spend the money? Lord, how do we run ministries? Lord, how do we meet all of the needs? How do we help the children? How do we help this? How do we help that? It is a very weighty, sacred, solemn thing. Am I playing the violin for us leaders right now? I'm not. I'm just telling you the reality of what we're dealing with here because guess what? This is not my house. You see? This is the Lord's house. And we will be held accountable. Now, before I get into what the leaders did, it is important for everyone here to understand that just because Jesus was grieved by the leadership, that doesn't mean that the people can plead ignorance and not guilty. You see? Because you have a Bible too. Okay, you have the spirit of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so he's not only watching the decisions that we make, but he's also watching the heart that you bring. And he's also watching the life that you choose to live. This is heavy business now. Now look, here's what happened with the leaders of that time. And I want you to look at it in light of history even. What happened with the leaders of that time is that the leaders shaped the temple worship around what was convenient. Did you guys put that up for me, please? A convenient, comfortable, and consumptive. If you want to know why Jesus was turning tables over, it's because the leaders shaped the worship around what was convenient, comfortable, and consumptive. Now let me just... Say the last one, what consumptive is. Consumptive means that you consume to your detriment rather than con consuming to your benefit. Okay, we'll get to that in a moment. But it's, it's important for us to understand that the leaders were making decisions that made everything convenient, everything comfortable, everything consumptive. Okay, now in order for me to explain this, I need to put a picture up of the temple Okay, this is Herod's temple, okay. And in Herod's temple, there were two courts right here. These two big spaces were called the court of the Gentiles. And in the court of the Gentiles, 
the, uh, uh, this was a space that was supposed to be so that Gentiles could come. And you know that, that up until this point in time in history, there was a great separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. But they still wanted to make space for the Gentiles to come and meet God. You see? But what they did out of, first of all, convenience is they put animals and uh, goats and, and lambs and bulls and they put t tables to exchange money because there was, quote, a temple tax. You see? Aren't you thankful we don't charge you a temple tax here? But they charged them a temple tax. And, uh, um, and so there was all of this exchanging of money whenever they exchanged money because they couldn't have a, a, um, kind of Roman money or Greek money. It had to be the right kind of money. Uh, so, so whenever they exchanged it, they had the, they, the, the, the leadership got a little money from that and they actually sold the animals. And here's the gist of the convenience piece. So in the Old Testament, what would happen is when Passover came, people would pick one of their own lambs. And they would have that lamb for a few days, a, 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 a lamb without blemish. And uh, um, culturally speaking, what would happen is that the lamb was with the family. The family would even just, uh, imagine having a, a little puppy in your house today for a couple days. You just immediately attach. You see, but that lamb was the lamb that was going to then be offered in sacrifice. And it was a powerful lesson to the kids because they were saying, you see that little lamb that we were playing with? That lamb shed his blood so that God could forgive us. That was the, sim the powerful symbolism. But what happened was that people, it, they were coming from different places and then it got convenient. They say, look, don't bring the animal. We'll just sell it to you right here. And I was actually talking to Tommy about this and Tommy was saying, it's like when, uh, when people buy the gift on their way to the party. Right? It's like, it's so heartfelt and deep, right? How many, how many marital arguments take place because like, we got to stop for a card? Why do we got to stop? Why didn't you get a card? I, get, I forgot. You, know, you, you, know, you understand what I'm talking about? So, but here's, so here's what happened. The people got used to coming to church and saying, okay, here, give me the lamb. And then taking that lamb, not feeling anything about the lamb. Not connecting with the lamb, not carrying a burden for them. They just take the lamb and give it to the priest and say, okay, do that and just go, you know. Do you know that's happened in America? A lot of people come to church like that. A lot of people come to church and you know what? A lot of people say, uh, don't worry, church starts at 12 o'clock. Let's get there about 20 minutes later. We skip the worship and then we'll get the choir and the word and then we'll go home. Ooh. It's okay if we come late because it's just worship. No, 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 no. You see, that's convenient thinking. You see, that's a, that's a mindset of convenience. It's like, hey, the, I, why, why did you come here today? You see, did you come here because of your love for the lamb? You see? And we, we want church to be, we, you know, we want to have parking lots. We want to have the best places for it. We want churches to be convenient and as comfortable within reason. But that doesn't mean that we take that mindset towards God. 
you see, but this is what started to happen. You see, and, and, and so, so everything was convenience, convenience, and convenience. And let me tell you something. If your mindset and understanding of coming to the Lord's house is all about your convenience, you are sorely missing it. And I have to say that to you because I love you and because I have an obligation to God. You see, and here's the truth, so do you. Your life can either please God or not please God. You see, and there's this great challenge that is upon every single one of us to please him. That's why you have to love the Lord with a quarter of your heart and a quarter of your time, a quarter of your energy. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you shall love the Lord with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and all your body. Hallelujah. And so, uh, um, but these are the decisions that the leaders made. And because the leaders made those choices. Now the next time you experience something that's, quote, inconvenient. Maybe you need to think about what pleases God rather than what pleases you. Because we have to. You see. We live with the, hey, if people vote with their feet, well, I don't like that about that church. Well, I'm leaving. Well, hey, you know, I, I did my best. No church is perfect. No leadership is perfect. That's why you got to pray for your leaders. No one, no one is perfect. There's nothing special about Chicago Tabernacle except one thing. Jesus is the head of his church, and he's the one that we worship and we honor. But this is the trend of churches, you know, make things secret sensitive, make everything, you know, you don't want anyone ever to feel uncomfortable in the church. Which leads me to the next thing. Look, it was, they were, they were, they not only wanted it to be convenient, but they wanted it to be ultra comfortable. Now put the temple back up for a second so you could get, get what this means. Watch this, guys. So look, this is the court of the Gentiles. That means that God said, make space for the Gentiles so that they can come and worship me and meet me. But you know what? They weren't comfortable with the Gentiles. They said, the Gentiles are not like us. The Gentiles don't look like us. They don't have our practices. They, 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 they do things differently than we do. And you know what? We're not comfortable with people that are not like us. And so what they did is they filled it with the animals and they filled it with the money changers and all of that. And said, well, let the Gentiles come. It's the court of the Gentiles. But there's no way they were going to hear from God like that. You see? And when you look at this, brothers and sisters, throughout history, this has happened over and over and over and over again. Where churches deliberately make choices to do just what makes them comfortable. You see, think about this. Just in America, I was listening to John Adams, the book John Adams uh, uh, on um, audiobook, and uh, and then someone actually gave me the the series, and it's a, an incredible series. And you know what? Uh, there's a there's a a scene in the book I remember where John Adams and his wife they didn't have slaves, and they were like 
if we're going to become a new nation, what's going on? And by the way, maybe we have this revolutionary war because God is judging us for slavery. And, and Washington and Jefferson and, all, and, and a lot of these uh, great leaders of our, our founding fathers, some of them said, look, we don't agree with it either, but we can't deal with that right now. And so they ignored it. So fast forward to the Civil War Emancipation Proclamation uh, and, and Charles Finney, one of the greatest evangelists of, 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 of our history, he said, you know why there was a Civil War? America is paying, uh, is paying for its ignoring the issue of slavery. Now I want to pause here. I want to talk a little bit more about this, but I need to pause here to give us context. Do you know the problem of racism in America it has nothing to do with white people or black people. Zero. You know what the biggest problem is in regards to racism? It's God's people. Because we've had every opportunity in the midst of these crazy things to just join together and love each other. And say, look, you guys could hate each other, but we're going to love each other. You know, we don't care about that because the blood of Jesus is powerful. Hallelujah, the blood of Jesus makes us equal. We don't look at that nonsense. We're brothers. We have all things in common. Listen. Listen. So, I read Dr. King's autobiography. One of the things Dr. King said, and you need to listen very closely to this. One of the things that Dr. King said is, you know, my heart was really hurt because my white brothers did not stand up and support us. I was thinking, Lord, with all the churches that, that there are, all the churches and all the church buses in the suburbs, right, I bet you if the church would have stood up, white churches would have stood up and said, hey, guess what? You won't ride them on your bus? We'll send our buses. We'll ride them. We'll ride them to work. We'll be a taxi service. Because we don't care. We're going to stand with them. My mom, my mom is, is as dark as my sister right here. Okay, so I have a unique family. One side, they're really light. And another side, so, uh, so. She looks like one of my cousins, right? So here's an interesting thing. Fast forward to today. I'm listening to, uh, to this sports thing, and Chris Carter, famous monster football player, African-American, they were talking about the national anthem thing, and Chris Carter actually said, he said, you know what the problem is? The problem is that the white people don't want to talk about the racial problems of our country. And one of the ladies on this panel said, don't say white people. He said, I didn't, you can't say all people. That He said, I didn't say all people. I said white people. And then what she did, because she realized how sensitive it was, she backed up. She backed up. But see, the reason she backed up is because the church has lost its moral authority. You see, I, I could easily say to Chris Carter, hey, bro, back up. Back up because my wife is white and my mom is as dark as you, okay? And my wife grew up with African American. It's not everybody. It doesn't look like that in God's house. You see, that's not the way the people of God live. That's not the way the people of God are. But the problem is that unfortunately the people of God have chosen comfort 
over love. So my mom, forgive me for all of these personal references, forgive me, but my mom came to this country in like 1959, 1960, right after Castro took power. My uh, dad came first. And uh, my mom, they, she landed in Miami, and then she had to travel through the south to get to New York to meet up with my dad. And she actually got a job with a, a white family, and she was like the nanny and the house cleaner and all those things. And when they were driving through the south, as she was driving through the south, she was in the back of a car, and they were going through some town, and they stuffed my mother down in the back seat like this. And they covered her with coats because they were afraid that if they saw her that she might get pulled out of the car. That was in the 50s. In our country. You see? And so, but here's the thing. My mom said to me that's not what really bothered her. That's not even what really hurt her. What hurt her was that when she was in New York, she went to a church. And when she walked into the church, it was a Catholic church. Doesn't matter. This, it was all, all churches were like this. Okay. Even, we're part of the assemblies of God and I'll tell you that in one moment. Okay. So she walks into the church and she starts walking up the church to, to worship God. And when she walks up, halfway up, somebody says, excuse me, stop. Dark people have to go and worship downstairs with the dark people. And my mother walked out and she's always had an issue with church ever since then. And she's 83 years old. You know, and let me tell you something, the race, the racial issue in our country has nothing to do with the country. Because guess what sinners do? They sin. But Jesus is the light of the world, hallelujah. And the church is his answer. If we would get out of our comfort zone and do the things differently than the world does it, how many know our nation would look very different? All we have to do is love like God and live like God and worship God from the bottom of our hearts. How would you like to have to preach this sermon? See, but a lot of people don't like that. They don't like hearing that. But it's the truth. We missed it. We missed it. Because you know what? Life doesn't mean that you're always supposed to be comfortable. If you think that Christianity is just about you being comfortable, you don't have a clue about what it is to serve Jesus. You know when we're going to be comfortable, totally comfortable, when we get to heaven. Now, take up your cross and follow him. That's what the Bible says. This is, this is like such a big deal. Now, I'm, I, I'm, I just used the court of the Gentiles because that was so, such a literal and such a specific application. They made no room for the Gentiles. But we are supposed to make room in our hearts for everyone. You see, we're supposed to make room in our hearts for everyone. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Lord. Help us not to look at church as something about that's just about our convenience and our comfort. And then here's the last thing, and then we're going to close. So the last thing was is they wanted, to, they wanted it to be very consumptive. That means that you consume to your detriment and not to your benefit. You see? 
And so what the leaders were doing is they were saying, look, just, just move as many people through, charge as many people as possible. Here's the way it works. Please look at me for a moment. Whenever the church is focused on convenience, comfort, and consumption, somehow it's always self-serving to the leaders. Because guess what? We get to be the good guys. We get to, church has become that, that hey, hey, at this church, you want to come into the sanctuary and drink coffee? Drink coffee. Put your feet up. Do whatever you want. You know, it doesn't really matter. You know what they say? They say, well, let me talk about that. Listen, if you come to my house and you want to put your feet on my coffee table, knock yourself out. But how many know this is God's house and we should honor him and respect him and treat him with great reverence. He died for us. Oh, yeah, worship God like this. You know, king of the universe. That's... I'm telling you right now, there's no way that that could be pleasing to Jesus. No way. You come in here and you go like this and you're like, well, that's not my personality. Okay. It's not your personality. But the question is, who's your king? You see? You know, who's your king? But, but hey, it doesn't matter. Don't bother anyone. Don't make anyone unhappy. Let them just come. See, how many churches now you walk into and they're filled with secular music? In God's house? You mean to tell me we don't have enough music to honor and glorify God that we have to play secular music? Are you kidding me? But no, because, you know, like someone said, no, no, actually we want to redeem music. Well, that music can't be redeemed because it's sinful. You can't redeem what's sinful, but you can redeem the sinner. And when the sinner gets redeemed, guess what they do? They lift their hands and say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You know? So look, over the years, and I, I got to wrap this up, but over the years, because of things that I've seen, right, and because of the best I could judge of what should happen in God's house, when people say, we're going to have a wedding, and we're going to have this worldly party and worldly music and dancing and just, just, every, we're just going to get down. You know, we say, you want to do that? This is a free country, knock yourself out, but no pastor on the staff will do that wedding. You know, we won't do that. Why? Because we carry a burden. When you go to sleep at night, maybe you don't carry this, but I'm telling you right now, everywhere I go, I'm carrying this. Everywhere Pastor Dave goes, he's carrying it. Every place. Whatever we say, whatever we do, we're carrying the burden. You see? And so we don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. We got we to speak the truth in love. Yes, in love, we have to speak the truth in love. People have to understand how important it is for this place to be pleasing, totally pleasing to God. It's not about the numbers for us. It's about how you're doing with God. And here's the last thing, and I'm going to close. There's one more point, but, and, and I'll close. But let me, can I tell you something? Every Thursday at our church, we have staff meeting. It is our staff's prayer meeting. And I wish... 
that you could hear whoever praised that day. I wish you could hear one of the leaders lifting their voice and saying, God, wherever the people are, God, would you protect them, God? Would you deliver them from every evil, oh God? We pray for your protection. We pray for your prosperity. We pray for your spiritual well-being. We pray for your physical well-being. We cry out to God that you would be blessed and encouraged and strengthened and healed when you need to be healed and transformed by his mighty power. We cry out to God. Every single week we do that for you because we love you. Because that is our responsibility before God. And also, because this is our sacred stewardship. This is not my house. And this is not my church. This is the Lord's church. This is not Pastor Matt's church. This is the Lord's church. We can only do what the book says. Now here... Here's what's so beautiful, and here's how he closes this. They said, by what authority do you do this? What what sign can you show us? And here's what Jesus did. He said, here's the sign. I'm going to tear this temple down and in three days build it up. You know why Jesus cleans the house? Jesus cleans the house because that was his life's purpose. What was Jesus' life's purpose? His life's purpose was this to have his body torn down so that your life and my life could be built up. You see, Jesus was torn, he was whipped and beaten and spit on and mangled. He was torn down so that you and I could be built up. He came that we might have life and have it to the full. You know I quote that a lot around here. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. But why? Because by his stripes we are healed. It's by his stripes that we are healed. Let's lift our hands to him right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. I want to pray a prayer of repentance right now. I want to ask the blood of Jesus to wash this house clean. Father, we come in the name of Jesus and we ask that you would clean this house, oh God. Cleanse this house today, oh God. This is your house. This is not our house. Father, if there's anything in this house, oh God, that is displeasing to you, Lord, would you cleanse this house? Cleanse our church. Cleanse our hearts. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, oh God. God, we ask that you cleanse us, oh God. Father, we ask that you would have your way and that this would be a house that is pleasing to you. Be pleased with everything that is said and everything that is done in this place. Father, we pray for the leadership. Come on, stretch out your hand towards the front. 
Lord, we stand proxy for all of the leaders, the children's leaders, the head of the ushers and security. Every ministry is a sacred ministry. Every ministry, choir leaders, oh God. Everyone beginning with, with my wife and I, God. God, would you wash us and cleanse us and God, help us to be pleasing to you, oh God. Help us to be pleasing to you. Help us to make choices that are pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Father, we pray for the people. We pray for your house. We put our hands back on our heart. Come on, put your hands on your heart. God, we ask that you would deliver us from a, a spirit of convenience. Deliver us from an attitude that is focused on comfort and consumption, oh God. God, if anything in our hearts is grievous to you, God, Lord, would you remove it from us today, oh God. And God, give us a zeal and a passion that you would receive the reward of your suffering, which is a people that are sold out and wholly committed to you, God. Bless us to bless you, Father. We pray for the church in Chicago. We pray for the church in America, God. Send revival to our nation, oh God. Use your church to heal the country, we pray, oh God. Let the church rise up full of love, full of truth, full of power and authority, oh God. Do something supernatural. Pour out your spirit, oh God. And bring radical change to our nation because the church rises up, oh God. Bless us. Let this be a day of getting closer to you. We want to be closer to you. We want to be pleasing to you, Lord. Father, we pray, let the words of our of our of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Thank you for this time that we could receive your word and that we could be together as, as one family, as one body. In the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said, come on, let's honor him. Let's take four or five minutes and just hug someone before you go. Brothers, find five or six brothers. Give them a hug. Sisters, give a sister. This is the Lord's house. Let's share the love of Jesus.